Our reading today is from Revelation 5, which can be found in 1,236 page of a red Bible and in the Chinese Bibles, 1824. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it has been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers for God's people. And they sang a new song, singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, for that uh, reading. And uh, would you please keep your Bibles open? Um, as I said earlier this morning, I feel as if I ought to be preaching to you in a waistcoat, as uh, that is clearly the sign of leadership. And uh, Gareth Southgate is a truly amazing manager. But let's, that's all we'll say um, on that subject. Uh, let's pray as we look at uh, Revelation uh, 5. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your spirit so that we would understand this chapter and that we too would praise the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Now, um, life is full of tensions and difficulties, things you can't resolve. Um, You may have difficult circumstances and yet you want to live with joy. Um, You know that there is a great and loving God and yet your life is a challenge. Um, If you're a parent, you can upset your children by saying no to them, uh, to what seems to be a perfectly reasonable request. If you are a child, you uh, wonder how your parents uh, can possibly um, understand or they just simply don't get it. You know, there's there's tensions, there's difficulties everywhere. And uh, this is picked up in a little book 
um, that was very popular many years ago called um, The Road Less Traveled by, uh, I think he's Canadian actually, um, Scott Peck. And he begins the very book with this, these words. Uh, the title is Problems and Pains. And he begins with this, Life is Difficult. This is a great truth, the greatest truth perhaps. Um, most who do not fully see this truth um, and, and moan about life, uh, about its difficulty, their burdens, their problems, um, expect that life should be easy. But life is difficult. Life is a series of problems. Do you want to moan about them or solve them? Um, and a very interesting opening to a book, Life is Difficult. Um, and I think uh, we would say that that is true. Now, Christians have a unique and powerful way of explaining why life is difficult and coming to terms and understanding what God has done about it. Our Bible tells us that right at the very beginning of time, in the early chapters of Genesis, there was a dislocation between God and humanity, a great crack, a, a great fault line through the universe. And, uh, and it's through every single person. And things now don't work as they should. And everything is unsteady. And one day we are promised in the Bible it will be restored. But until then, what should happen sometimes doesn't happen. And coming to terms with the fact that life is difficult and understanding or not understanding or not seeing the solution to it can cause us to weep. So Revelation 5 takes us to the heart of this dislocation and it's a spiritual one. That's the most important to understand. The problem of the world is spiritual. Not any other problem. It's a spiritual problem. That's the heart of it. And any other solution won't really uh, cut it. So we're going to look at a, a, bit of, uh, a bit of literature, which is in a style we're not used to. The Bible has lots of different styles, you know, poetry, history, um, parables, um, and so on. But it has this style called apocalyptic, which is, <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, it does. And, uh, and, we, and you know that Revelation is written in, in apocalyptic language. And it became famous around about 600 BC or kind of used about 600 BC. And it finished about 200 AD. And then it's never been used since. But it's a really strange sort of style. It, it sort of uses words to make pictures. It puts opposite ideas together. Um, it uses mixed metaphors. It is... Um, full of special meanings. Numbers are special. And this is the chapter that we're in, and we're going to discover how that dislocation, um, uh, how it's resolved, and why Jesus Christ is praised for resolving it. So, there we are. We're going to look at five phrases, but four points. I just thought that if you had five points this morning, you would die. So, four points. Okay, here they are. Um, here's the first and the first word, if you, and it's worth just jotting these down or putting them on your phone because this will help you through the chapter, just looking at these four or five phrases. Here's the first, the scroll. Chapter four, we get a glimpse into heaven. St. John sees God's awesome and holy throne. Um, and, and God is awesome and holy. 
He is worshipped in the perfection of heaven, but John and we, we, we're in the chaos of earth, so we're looking up at this. And he sees in uh, the throne, in the ha- in the, on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, verse 1, a scroll with writing on both sides. So part of my preparation was to look at the right, uh, you know, how a scroll was made in the first century. I find it quite, quite interesting. It's kind of geeky, but I, I, I like it. And uh, the scroll was put together by, um, by papyrus, strips of papyrus crisscrossed. Um, and the crisscrossing is on the outside of the scroll. And they also use something called vellum, which is animal skin as well. Um, but that means that the outside of the scroll is really scratchy to write on. And so it's not normally written on. The scroll was normally written on the inside. And these scrolls would, would be sort of standard length of about 34 feet. And there would be a stick in each end. And they would roll them up. Roll them up. And then you would get the scroll. You see, there it is. Ta-da! Opened up like that. Fantastic. So there you are. You all know about scrolls now. And, uh, but how strange written on both sides. What does that mean? It means that God was putting all his purposes, all his plans, all our hopes and all our longings and fears for, for judgment, for blessing. It's all in the scroll. All in the scroll. And, uh, and it's sealed. You'll see it's sealed. Again, special numbers in Revelation with seven seals. Not just one seal, but seven. Now, if you were, if you were doing a, a will, I think Vespasian was one of the uh, Roman Empire's, uh, emperors. And he, he had a will and, and you know, uh, it was sealed with a number of seals, actually, um, and only somebody with the authority to open it and enact it could, op- could, could open it. Uh, so, um, there you are. Only somebody with the authority to carry it out. Remember, Jesus' tomb was sealed. And we, thought, we sort of think it was stuck together with arodite or something like that. You know, it, wasn't, it was sealed with the governor's seal, which basically said... If you're caught opening this without my authority, unless you are a higher authority, you can't open it. Now, of course, we happen to know that Jesus' tomb was opened by a higher authority. <laughs> and the tomb was opened, of course, not to let Jesus out, but to let you in or let us in so that we could see it was empty. But there we are. That's another subject. Um, this, there we are. So all our hopes and fears are in the scroll. So that's the first thing we need to understand. Secondly... There we are, all of God's purposes of judgment and blessing. Secondly, the challenge and the tears. So a voice goes out. A cry goes out. Who is worthy to open, to break the seals and open the scroll? Who has got the right to go through chapter 4, cross the throne, uh, cross the sea of glass, up through the myriads of angels and up, up into up into the throne room of God and go up to God and say, I'll take that, thank you. Who can do that? So who has the ability to carry out all of God's purposes? Who has the authority to to carry them out to perfection so that nobody could argue and question the rightness of it all? Who earns the right to look into somebody else's heart and say, well, I know why you did that. And I know you shouldn't have done that. And here is my judgment. Who can do that? 
And having walked, as it were, in your shoes and fully understood uh, to give you what is deserving to you. So, uh, the, um, they, they realize that nobody is worthy to open the scroll. And it's quite interesting. It says that no one is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. So, what that means is there's no angelic being, no human being, and no dead being. They used to divide the world into three in those days, you know? Angels, humans, dead people, you know? Nobody is worthy. And so John weeps. And it says he wept and wept because he's on earth. And while God is sovereign in heaven, he is experiencing the, the tension that it is to be a human being, to have aspirations, but to recognize that there is this fissure, that, this crack that goes through your heart and my heart and every family family's heart and every city's heart and every nation's heart and it's just wrong it's and things are wrong and they'll never be put right so number three that was two points by the way the challenge the tears there we are so just number three the lion then one of the elders said Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And we all know, well, I don't know whether... Well, Genesis 49 verse 9 tells you that when Jacob gave out his blessings on his tribe, his 12 12 sons, um, when he came to Judah, he called him a lion. Um, And that's 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 a great picture the lion. And uh, from the line of Judah will come the kings. And so the kings do come. And King David comes, you see. And King David is, is, uh, is a great king. And then there's Solomon. And then there's a few others, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and all the rest. Well, Jer- Jeroboam, I think. And then they, they all go into exile. And it seems as if the line has ended. But Isaiah has written a prophecy and he says, no, um, Isaiah chapter 11, we sometimes have it read out at Christmas. Um, out of the stump of Jesse. Remember that? Out of the stump of Jesse. Like it's chopped down. The, the tree of Jesse is chopped down. But the stump still there. And out of the stump will come a shoot. Out of the root will come a shoot. When I lived in Vancouver, um, we used to go around uh, Stanley Park. Stanley Park's lovely. Lots of huge trees in it. Great big Douglas firs. And then on, 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 on the coastline, you had the Burrard Inlet. And you saw the ships going by. And there was beaches, English Bay, and lovely restaurants. And it's a lovely place to go for a holiday. <laughs> and one of the places... Um, uh, you, you, you saw the stump of a Douglas fir. Now, they would chop down these Douglas firs, huge, great big things. I think they're bigger in California, um, even bigger there. But um, they'd, they'd chop them down, and then they'd hollow them out, and then you would 
just go on a canoe and you'd, you'd go wherever you wanted on your canoe. Native Indians would do that for fishing and various things. And so in this great, on this uh, stump of this Douglas fir, there was a shoot coming out. And he just kind of thought of that prophecy of Isaiah. One is going to come. He is the Lion of Judah. So that's the prophecy. So the, uh, the elder says, don't weep, the lion is coming. And then John looks and in verse 6 he turns around and he sees in the middle of the throne a lion. No, he doesn't. He sees a lamb standing at the center of the throne, looking as if it had been slain. And of course, he must have done a double take. I mean, the point is that the lion is the lamb, but but it's such a strange image. And standing in the center of the throne, where did you come from, lamb? I didn't see you walking through the, over the sea of glass and up through the myriad of angels and dong, there you are. Where did he come from? Of course, we all know who that is, don't we? <laughs> but it's such a striking image. And it, it it's, um, kind of chimes in a little bit with the World Cup. Uh, um, someone wrote this, and I think it's, it's quite helpful. None but an inspired composer of heavenly visions would ever have thought of it. When earthbound men want symbols of power, they conjure up mighty beasts and birds of prey. So Russia elevates... The bear, that's right, okay. Britain, the lion, okay. France, I think it's the tiger, is it? Okay, you can argue about that one later. Um, The United States, the spread eagle, that's right. Canada, the beaver, actually, that's not so good. That doesn't work for my image. But most of them are ravenous beasts, okay. So most of them are ravenous beasts. It's only the kingdom of heaven that would dare to use as its symbol of might, not the lion for which John was looking, but the helpless lamb and a slain lamb. Now that quote is almost right. It should say, not only the lion for which John was looking, but a slain lamb. Because the point is, the lion is the lamb. The lion is the king, the lamb the sacrifice. The lion is the lamb. He is both the king but the one who has given his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And he alone is worthy because he has the authority as the son of God, but he has also been in your shoes. He as as a man, he lived and he died. He knew your pain. He knows your temptation. He knows everything about you. Yet he was without sin. So when he was on the cross, he was a perfect sacrifice and he is worthy to take the scroll. Which leads us to the final final point. The Song of the Lamb. Chatting with uh, Toby um, uh, last night and, 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 and we were saying that the songs of Revelation are really the explanation of what's going on. Um, the, you know, it explains... Uh, what, what's going on? And, and here you have it. But before we get to it, uh, the explanation, um, I want you to see that uh, the, the lamb, um, he has seven horns, seven eyes. That's perfection. 
and which shows his authority, which are the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth. He takes it. And then um, uh, we go through the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and each one of them had a harp. Now, I've said this before in the evening service, but it was a revelation to me to discover what the harp was because often we have pictures of you know, angels with little kind of dinky little thingies, you know, the harp that, that, that plays. But actually, you need to think Mumford and Sons, really. You need to think of that banjo in Mumford and Sons. You know, it goes down, 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 you know. It, this is a banjo. It kind of like, it's just, just a happy little instrument, you know. And just when it starts to kind of go, you go, yeah, yeah, it's great. You start to tap your feet and things. And it's, it's really, this is happy. The banjos start going. And at the same time, you have these bowls of incense. Now, the bowls of incense were because, you know, it was hot and smelly. And so these were sweet-smelling incense. And these are called the prayers of the saints. So it's as if the prayers of the saints now go before the living God, and he hears them, and they are pleasant to him. That is, he is going to say, now your prayers are going to be answered. Now your prayers will be answered. Because of what the Lamb has done. And so we look and see what the Lamb has done. Verse 9. They sang a new song. So you're going to have to you're going to work hard here. You've got to follow me. Otherwise, you will be lost. They sang a new song. So the old song, nothing wrong with the old song, but it's in chapter 4. It's a song of creation. God is worthy. He's great uh, to receive honor and power. But he's, he's up there. And... That's as far as you get. A very distant God. But the new song is that God is now. That's not just creation. This is redemption. God has come to rescue his people. And uh, it begins with the phrase, you are worthy. You are worthy. I, do you remember Wayne's World or is that too old for you? You do remember Wayne's World. Isn't there a sort of you are worthy bit in it? Or am I getting it wrong? Pardon? Oh, we're not worthy. That's right. We're not worthy. That's right. Yes, and they do the headbanging thing. Yeah, sorry. If you haven't seen it, it's lost on you. And probably needs to remain lost on you. It is not worthy <laughs> as a movie. But anyway, um, you are worthy would be said to the Roman Empire, a Roman emperor. Uh, Vere Dignus, I think, is the Latin. And um, uh, Revelation has... It's quite a political document, Revelation, because it's written at the time of the Roman Empire. And it was... This is sort of deliberately provocative because you would say this whenever the emperor came along, Vere Dignus, you are worthy, you are worthy, uh, even though some of them were not worthy. Um, Vespasian, uh, Vespasian or Nero. Nero certainly wasn't worthy. Um, but Jesus is worthy. And Christians are to call him worthy. He is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because, and now we get to the heart of it, you are worthy because you were slain. You were slain. So this is the thing that causes the praise of Christians. That's why we have a communion table. You were slain. Explanation. If sin causes the fracture and rebellion causes the break between God and humanity and creation, and that's the reason, then it must be paid for. And it says here that you were slain and with your blood, that's with your death, 
you purchased or you ransomed men and women for God. Wow, how did that happen? A death had to happen because of our rebellion. And God the Father chose for it not to be us. And in heaven's counsel, the sins, the Son said, I will go and I will be the sacrifice. I, the King, will be the sacrifice. A death was called for and so he died. This is a gospel. This is the whole gospel, isn't it? Uh, and he was the perfect sacrifice because he knew no sin. He did, he did not commit sin, but he was made sin for us all. He stood, as it were, in our place. Made sin for us all so that uh, we might be freed. Uh, those of you who uh, know me know that I, I love C.S. Lewis and The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and the lovely scene uh, again in... in um, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the awful scene where the lion goes up to the stone table to be killed in place of Edmund, and, and the witch um, sticks her knife into the lion, Aslan, uh, and uh, she thinks that by killing him, then she can kill Edmund, but she does not know the, the deeper magic, as C.S. Lewis calls it, that uh, if she had known, then she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery this is C.S. Lewis writing, was killed in a traitor's stead, the table itself would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Now, it's just interesting to see that Lewis line, that the table would crack. You see, I began by talking about a fracture or a crack that is through the universe. And and really what I'm, what I'm saying here is that uh, what the Lord Jesus did was that, that it was like, a, well, it was more serious than this, but a bone that has been broken. Sometimes if it is not set properly, if it is left to set so that it is unsteady and unstable, it needs to be rebroken before it can be properly set. The Lord Jesus was, as it were, broken for you. Uh, Jesus' death broke the table the table was the law of sin and its consequence, death. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> You'll have heard me say that I once went on a tube train and somebody had, there was a, a poster that said that on the train and somebody had written, the wages of London transport aren't much better either, which made me smile but kind of missed the point. The wages of sin are death. But by faith in him, we can be ransomed. You purchased men and women for God. And it's all sorts of people, persons from every tribe and language and, and people and nation. So we're all broken down into tribes. Sometimes we think, is this gospel going to get through to a particular group of people? I mean, it's not just people groups and language groups and nation groups, but, you know, pressure groups um, that there are in society. And what this says is that people from every pressure group that you think, you know, can they ever become, can they ever see the gospel? There will be somebody from every single group in heaven. People from every tribe and tongue. Amazing. And there be made a kingdom 
and priests to serve our God. I'd like to talk about that more, but there is no time. We, we become God's kingdom here on earth. This is where the healing begins. You know Jesus Christ. That fracture has been mended. And it is still working out in your heart and life. And you are to work it out. You're a priest. You're saved from sin, but you're a priest for God. So that means you're meant to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of this is in the whole Bible. And it's great, isn't it? It's fantastic. How do you get this across to your friends? Just coming to the end now. How do you get this across to your friends? How do you talk about sin and, and judgment and repentance and, and forgiveness? It's quite hard, isn't it, to talk about that? And sometimes people don't hear it. You know, I don't need to repent. I don't need forgiveness. Are you telling me that I'm worse than you? Uh, so a guy called um, uh, Vakal Havel. He was, um, I think he was a Czech prime minister, um, but he was, he was caught up in the, um, in, in the battles of his country and he was imprisoned and, um, and he wrote some very wise words and, and I think they help us to understand how we can talk about what Jesus has done. Um, he says this, he says... Um, the line between good and evil did not run clearly between them and us, but through each person. No one was, he talks about victim and victimizers. No one was simply a victim, um, and everyone was in some measure a victimizer, co responsible. Many people were on both sides. And I think what he's trying to say is we were all there. You know, we're not saying we're any better than anybody else. It's just that we have recognized that the root of the problem is a spiritual one and that we have seen in Revelation chapter 5 that it is only Jesus that heals it. No other solution will cut it. And so, the, the way that you know that whether you understand this or not is... is is to see um, how you respond to it. Because you see the cry goes up and the myriad of angels start to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Uh, and then every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth starts to cry out, worthy is the lamb, he is worthy, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And, and, and the only question that this chapter asks of you is this one, which is to say this, are you in the choir? Are you singing in the choir? Margaret Humphreys, when she left, she said, there's only one point you needed to make, which was, are you in the choir? <laughs> are you singing? Does Jesus get you so that you, do you, do you get Jesus <laughs> and what he's done so that you sing, you are worthy? Let me tell you that your pets will get it before you if you haven't got it. Because it says every creature. I was really struck by that. Then I heard every creature. Human beings are not actually mentioned at this point. It kind of puts us in our place. You know, your, your, your dogs and your cats are going to be singing this. And the animals and the birds are going to be singing this. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. And, then, and, and the oceans will roar. And all creation will be in absolute wonder and praise. And just don't miss out on being in the choir. 
So it's a great test, isn't it? Does does your heart fill with praise for Jesus? And if not, it's an MOT. It's an MOT that says, huh, I think I need, I need to get this. I need to go over those five words. The scroll, the challenge, the tears, the lion who is the lamb, and the song of the lamb. Are you part of the choir? Would you sing, I don't know whether we'll sing Handel in Heaven. Blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him, be unto him. Remember that, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And then the great chorus, Amen. That counterpoint fugue. It's the only question that matters. Are you in the choir? Well, let's respond to what we've just heard from God's word by praying to him together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is the Lion of Judah, the promised eternal triumphant king. Thank you that he is the lamb that was slain, the perfect spotless sacrifice. Thank you that he is the only one worthy to bring about your plans for blessing and judgment because he died for us and purchased us with his blood. We join the song that all creation will sing. To you who sit on the throne, enter the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we long for the day when all men will sing that song, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, and all will see him as he truly is. But as we wait on your perfect timing, may we use our short time here on earth wisely. Help us to tell others about that coming day, so that they might repent and be ready to face you in the assurance that Jesus provides. Thank you for Simon Pitt Wilson and their family. Thank you that they clearly understand the urgent need to tell others the gospel and how they are working to do that in India. Please continue to encourage them in their work. May their current time off travelling to see friends and family be refreshing and a boost to their morale as they are reminded of the support you provide and the good things you promise them. We pray that on their safe return to India, you would establish the work of their hands, that relationships they currently have with those around them would flourish and lead to deep gospel conversations. We dare to pray that even this year, you would encourage them by converting someone they've been working with. Please, Lord, have mercy on the people of India. Bring them back to yourself. Open their eyes to the glory of the Lord Jesus, so that they might sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth, and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise, even today. For Jesus' sake and glory, we pray. Amen. And Lord, it's amazing to think that even though this world is so fleeting, like a shadow in view of the eternal view we've had today, you still care about what happens here. Thank you that we can bring before you our fears and anxieties, things that cause us distress and upset. And so we pray that you would look kindly on the rescue of these boys trapped in a cave in Thailand. We know it is you who sustained them this far, and we know that if they are rescued, it is of your doing. Please give the divers rescuing them bravery and perseverance in the face of great personal danger. 
comfort the boys in their time of need. And we pray that all 13 who were trapped would return safely. We especially pray that all those involved would be pointed to you, maybe as they think about how life here is so fragile, or see the sacrificial actions of the rescue divers, which point to the greater rescue that they need. And we pray that some involved would call out to you for rescue from their sins. We know from your word that you work all things for the good of those who love you. And we pray these things to you, knowing that this is no exception. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for giving us this heavenly perspective from Revelation 5. We pray it would help us to keep living for you when life here gets tough. We especially remember Stephen Burden, Jean Feltham, and Maisie Maxwell, and also many others across our church family and those we know who are suffering physically, mentally, and spiritually. We especially think of Pam Corbishley, who was involved in a car accident this week. Thank you that she is safe and well, but we think of her as she will inevitably be shaken up. May you give all of these people, and us as well, eyes that see and minds that remember the heavenly vision of Jesus on his throne. And may that give them and us great endurance through all that comes their way. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.